is from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22, and that's on page 1064 of your Bibles. To the church in Laodicea, to the angel at the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me um, gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Morning, church. Nice to see you. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you. Uh, today we're looking at a, a love letter. It's a love letter from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a love letter from Jesus, the bridegroom, writing to his bride called the church. It's a love letter to a church that he calls beautiful and he cherishes it. It's precious to him. Uh, It's a love letter which is driven by compassion. It's, it's, It's oozing, oozing affection and it's lavished in love. It's not your kind of sentimental kind of love letter. It's not your hallmark card kind of love letter. This, this love letter from Jesus contains some quite confronting words. This love letter has this phrase, as I look at this church whom I love, I'm about to vomit because you make me want to puke. It's not the kind of love letter you might write to your lover. But sometimes when you really love somebody, you need to say hard things. Sometimes when you love somebody, you have to say confronting truths. But, but the tone of this is love, verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He looks at this church and says, I do love you. I really love you. And because I love you, I'm about to rebuke you. I'm not going to reject you. I'm going to rebuke you and discipline you. I'm not going to divorce you, but just discipline you. It's that language of Proverbs 3 or Hebrews 12 where it says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Sometimes the Lord looks at his church and his heart breaks for them. And he says some harsh words to refine them, to make them more like Christ. And today in Laodicea, he's going to say some pretty hard words to us. They're not my words, they're Jesus' words. And we need to listen, because Jesus describes himself in verse 14. These are the words of the Amen, 
the faithful and true witness, that the ruler of God's creation. He is the Amen. Now, we say Amen, but Jesus is the Amen. He is the yes, absolutely, yes, let it be so. He is faithful, he is true, he is authentic, he is right. He is the ruler of God's creation, he is powerful. So today, you're going to be spoken to by a powerful, right, authentic Lord Jesus Christ. And my question is, will each of us here have that, that humility to listen? Will we have that posture of humility, an open mind, an open heart to say, yes, you are right, Jesus? Because Jesus says, whoever has, he- has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that you give us ears to hear this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do love us. Thank you that you love us enough to refine us. So open our hearts, open our minds, and open our ears to hear you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea. So that's our our city today, Laodicea. It's the last of the seven Letters, and we often say you save the best till last. Uh, Jesus says the most severe till last. Uh, he's spoken to Ephesus. Remember Ephesus, the loveless church. They had lots of deeds. They were doctrinally discerning, but, but they were lacking devotion. They'd lost their first love. We need to learn from that. Uh, we heard about Smyrna, the suffering church. Uh, they were afflicted, but Jesus says, be faithful. We've got to learn from that. We heard about Pergamon, which was the compromised church. They were too cosy with culture. We took to be warned by that. We heard about Thyatira, the tolerant church that was tolerating sexual immorality, and we've got to learn from that. And then we heard about Sardis, that smug, overconfident church that looked wonderful on the outside with a great reputation, and Jesus says, you're dead. And then last week we learned about Philadelphia, that weak and weary church. But Jesus says, well done, hold on to me. We're encouraged by that. These are the words of Jesus to, to Laodicea. It's the last letter. It's perhaps the most difficult letter. But I think it's the most relevant. Because Laodicea was this, this ritzy, wealthy comfortable church in a ritzy, wealthy, comfortable city. Laodicea was the most prosperous city, the most comfortable city to live in in the whole of the area. And the church thought they'd made it. That's why it's relevant to us. Because friends, compared to history, compared to the rest of the world, we are the the one percenters, we're the 0.1 percenters. We are wealthy compared to the rest of the world and, and the rest of history. We are so wealthy And it's so easy to think that our identity is in our wealth. That's what we've got to hear this morning. I've got a criticism and I've got a counsel. Laodicea was known for three things. It was known for for finance, for fashion and for fitness. For finances, because they are super wealthy. It was the banking capital of the area for fashion. 
because in Laodicea they had this, this, this textile, this, this glossy black wool, and everyone was trendy and fashionable. It was a fashion capital of the area. And for fitness, because they developed this, this eye salve which gave you this perfect sight. And so the people who lived in Laodicea thought that they were riding the wave, living the dream. It's the great place to live. But as John Stott says, perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the church today than this one. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is widespread in our churches. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. Let's start with the criticism. He calls this church lukewarm. See that verse 15? I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you or vomit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm. It's like when you get a, a, a cup of water, a drink of water from the tap, and you accidentally put the warm water in rather than the cold. And you take the, the glass to your lips, and when that, you taste that warm water, that tepid water, you just go, ugh. That's how Jesus feels about this church. Ugh. Spiritually, they are lukewarm. Spiritually, they are lacking zeal for Jesus. Spiritually, they have marginalized Jesus, minimized Jesus. They still gather, they do their services, they perform their duties, but there's no Jesus. They're lackluster, useless, and good for nothing. Lukewarm, he says, just like your water supply. Because if you know the geography here, there are three cities close together. You've got Hierapolis in the north. That was known for its hot springs with their healing capacities. In the east was Colossae, which had cold water that came down from the snow-capped mountains. But Laodicea lay between those two places, and the water was pumped in via an, an aqueduct. And so by the time the water got to Laodicea, it wasn't hot. It was tepid. It was lukewarm, and it was disgusting. Now, I'm English. I, I love a hot cup of Earl Grey tea or ice-cold water, but lukewarm is disgusting. Be careful, don't don't misunderstand Jesus. He's not saying, I wish you either hot and on fire for Jesus or cold and completely pagan. He's talking about their effectiveness, their usefulness, because hot water is useful. It is useful for sterilizing, it's useful for cooking, for soothing, and cold water is useful. It's refreshing, it quenches your thirst, but what's the use of lukewarm water? What do you use lukewarm water for? Nothing. It's good for nothing. And that was this church in Laodicea. There's no explicit heresy. There's no gross immorality. It's just that they've subtly excluded Jesus, sidelined Jesus. They don't need Jesus, and they are useless. Now, some churches make Jesus sad. Some churches make Jesus mad. This church makes Jesus want to puke. I'm about to spit you, spew you, vomit you out of my mouth, he says, verse 16. We don't get to talk much about vomit in church, do we? Although if you're a parent here, you're used to vomit, aren't you? Vomit is just disgusting, isn't it? There's nothing good about vomit. It looks awful, it smells awful, it is awful. I remember being in a supermarket down in Jeringong with my kids and 
one of my kids was in the store, there were about two, and it happened. The thing about kids is that they don't make a retching noise. There's no warning sign. They just open their mouth and then the vomit just sort of pours out and there was just vomit everywhere. There's vomit over him, vomit over me, vomit over the floor, over our shopping, and it was just, ooh. And that's how Jesus feels about his, this church. There's no nice way to read that. You make me want to puke. What's the point of a church without Jesus? What's the point of gathering with programs if Jesus is just this out of veneer, if he's not the, the life source, the blood running through our veins, he's not the centre of everything. We're supposed to be zealous for Jesus, on fire with Jesus, love for Jesus. Remember those days in your Christian life where you just couldn't get enough of Jesus? You came to church, your heart was warm, you just wanted to know Jesus more, and you were useful because Jesus shone out of you and through you and you pointed people to Christ. So easy for the church to lose that and we become so institutionalised. We did some soul searching this week. Has this church made Jesus sick? Hope not. They were lukewarm. They were self-sufficient. Verse 17 is very confronting. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. I don't need a thing. It's a terrible thing to say. I've got it all, I can do it all, I need nothing from you, God, and nothing from anybody else. We have everything, we don't need anything, we're somebodies, we've arrived. It's this picture of self-sufficiency, self-satisfaction, self-congratulatory behaviour, we are wonderful. And the problem with affluence is it leads to arrogance or apathy. Arrogance, the repeated word in verse 17 is the word I. I am rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. I've acquired wealth. I've done it. My wealth, my works, I've made it. Uh, we're we'll standing in church week in and week out. But deep down we're thinking, you know, God's lucky to have it out of my time. There's no humility here, no gratitude, no, no recognition that everything we have, everything we own comes from God's hand. It all belongs to him. But when you have enough money, it can become your identity. I am rich. That's what defines you. My wealth is my status. My wealth shapes who I hang out with, what clothes I wear, what car I drive, what holiday I go on. It becomes your security, your worth. What did Jesus say? Remember that, that story of the soils? I call soil number three the scary soil, where the seed takes root, but it's choked. And it's choked by what? By the, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Worries and wealth, and they go hand in hand, because the more stuff you have, the more stressed you are. What did Paul say in 1 Timothy 6? Those who want to get rich fall into a trap for the love of money. Nothing wrong with money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the truth. I've seen that. People who have found their identity, their security in their wealth, and Christ gets sidelined. That's the issue. When you start to define yourselves by the clothes you wear, the suburb you live in, and the restaurants that you dine at, 
or when we as a church spend more money on glossy brochures than we do on global mission. When we as a church spend more money on the morning tea than we do on reaching the lost with the gospel. We've lost the plot, haven't we? I don't need a thing they say. And I just wonder whether some of us here are subtly communicating that. I don't really need anything from you, God. It's not something you'd ever verbalise. It's not something we put in a, a statement of faith. We wouldn't say we're a self-sufficient church. It's just that we, we live our lives as practical atheists. You know, we, we get through each day as though we are in charge of everything. Way too many of us here, I think, live as if we don't need anything from God. We sing, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. In a crisis, I need you. So they are lukewarm, they are self-sufficient, and they are deluded. This is perhaps the saddest of all. See that verse 17? But you don't realise, but you don't know that you're blind to the fact that you are actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. They think they're rich, but they're deluded. They're not seeing their identity and their life through the lens of God. It's the exact opposite of who they think they are. Lack of self-awareness. It's like the Hans Christian Andersen story of the, the emperor with new clothes who thought he looked amazing and he's walking around the street. Everyone's laughing at him because he's completely naked. That is this church. They, they look good on the outside. They felt good about everything. They felt important because the rosters were filled. The marketing was schmick. The services were slick. The preaching was passionate, but they were blind to their true spiritual state without Jesus. Maybe that's us, lukewarm, self-sufficient and deluded, LSD. It's like a drug. It's hallucinating, isn't it? It's not reality and very dangerous. And Jesus loves them enough to point this out. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He says, I want you back, I want you back for good. So be earnest, be zealous, the word is there. Be zealous, be on fire for Jesus again and repent. I love this quote from someone at our church. They said this, I believed I could do it myself. That I had enough, I was wise enough, I was strong enough, but I was wrong. I now know how much I need Jesus. I still need Jesus. And I'll always need Jesus. So if the criticism was lukewarm, self-sufficient, deluded, the counsel is you just need Jesus. That's the counsel. Not rocket science, you just need Jesus. We need Jesus in this church. We need Jesus in our preaching and Jesus in our praying and Jesus in our singing. We need Jesus in our sharing, Jesus in our kids and our youth and our aged care. You need Jesus in your marriage or your singleness. You need Jesus in your friendships. You need Jesus in every area of your life. And Jesus says to this church in Laodicea, here I am, come to me. There's two beautiful invitations. He says, come buy from me and come dine with me. Come buy from me and come dine with me. Verse 8, I counsel you to buy from me. To buy, that's the language of the marketplace. Have you ever been to a, a Middle Eastern market? Not quiet, is it? There's stores everywhere and the traders are, are shouting, come to my store, 
best pomegranates, best figs, best apples, best price. Come buy from me. That's the picture here. Come to Jesus to get what you really need in life. It's like an advertiser, isn't it? Advertising is about creating a sense of dissatisfaction in you. I'm an advertiser's dream. I'm so gullible. I once bought under eye gel at 4 a.m. in the morning from the TV show to get rid of these black bags under my eye. It didn't work. But that's what advertisers do. They promise you so much. And Jesus says, you really need this. This is what you really need in life. He says, come buy gold. Gold refined in the fire so that you can be really rich. This is about spiritual wealth. He said, when you come to Jesus, you have spiritual riches. I want to say, church, who cares? Who cares if you're rich on the outside? Who really cares what suburb you live in? Or what house you live in? Or what car you drive? What clothes you wear? Who really cares? That's just stuff. It's just treasures on earth. It will rot. It will perish. But you need lasting treasures and solid joys. And you find that in Christ. When you know Christ, enjoy Jesus, savour Jesus, treasure Jesus, you find your joy and your security and your fullness and your freedom and your peace and your purpose. So come to Christ and buy gold from him. And white clothes to cover your shameful nakedness. Spot the irony there, what was Laodicea known for? It's black, glossy wool. He says, who cares? Laodicea, if you've got this trendy fabric from the house of Leo, wants to say to us, who cares if you wear Gucci and Prada? Who really cares? Who cares if you strut around looking good and feeling good? Because Jesus sees the inside. He sees the heart. He sees the, the hurts, the pains, the unkind thoughts, the bitter envy, the greed. And what he wants to do is clothe you with white, to clothe you with purity, to clothe you with righteousness, to clothe you with his blood. When you're clothed in Christ, you're clothed in white and he sees you as pure and righteous rather than pitiful and blind. So come and buy wealth, come and buy health, come and buy spiritual sight. Salve for your eyes so you can see clearly because you were blind but now you can see. I spent 20 years not seeing clearly. The first 20 years of my life, I was just chasing all this stuff that the world told me I needed. Chasing my PhD from Oxford University. Chasing to the fine wine and the fine food and the nice cars and the nice place to live. All this stuff I, I thought was satisfied, but it never did. Because we are created to know God and to love God. And when you see that, and when you see in Jesus Christ his glory and his forgiveness and his peace and his purpose and his grace, and then you can see. That's what Jesus promises you. Spiritual wealth, spiritual health and spiritual sight. He says, come, buy from me. It's that reading from Isaiah 55. Come, come if you're thirsty, Come and buy without money, without price. Let me ask you, how do you buy this stuff? How do you buy forgiveness, peace, joy, righteousness? How do you buy that stuff? We're supposed to imagine a shop 
And you walk into the shop and there's jars of righteousness and peace and pardon and forgiveness and joy and hope. And you think, I want that. I need that. And you say to the shop assistant, well, how much is that? I really want that. How much is that? And they say, oh, it's so expensive. It's priceless. Oh, I've got a credit card. I can max out my credit card. No, you couldn't buy it. It takes blood to buy that stuff. Oh, well, I've got blood, you say. Oh, not your blood. It takes the blood of Christ. It's already been bought for you by the blood of Jesus. He's bought your forgiveness. He's bought your peace. He's bought your joy. He's bought your pardon. He's bought your righteousness. Well, how do I get it, you say? Is it on the top shelf, out of our reach? Oh, no, 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 it's down the bottom shelf. Accessible to anybody. And all you have to do to get it is just to bend low, just to stoop low, to bend down and take it and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need this. I need peace. I need pardon. I need joy. I need forgiveness. That's what Jesus offers this church and to you and to I. Come, buy for me, he says. And he says, come, dine with me. It's not just about transactional. It's not just a shop. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. He says, come, enjoy intimacy with me. Let me be your friend. Let me be your brother. Let me be your soulmate. That's the invitation of verse 20. Perhaps one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Here I am, says Jesus. I stand at the door and I knock. I love that. The Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have ignored and we have shunned, and I've said to Jesus, I don't need you, but he hasn't gone off in a huff. He hasn't stormed off. He's standing at the door just outside and he's waiting and he's knocking. Now, how did Jesus knock? Look at verse 20. If anyone hears my voice, that's how he knocks. I love you, he says. I care for you. Let me carry you. Let me forgive you. I'll hold you. I will cherish you. You're mine. That's the voice of Jesus. He wants you to be intimate with him. He wants you to dine with you. If you open the door to him, he will come in, he will rush in and he'll sit at your table and he will enjoy your company and you get to eat with him. It's this picture of friendship, of intimacy that will never, ever, ever fade. And Jesus says to us at the church, will you let me dine with you? Will you let me talk with you? Will you let me be your friend? It's been a long time, my friend, since you had me around for dinner. That's what he's saying to us. It's been a long time, my friends, since, since you had me around for dinner. You've got those friends in your life, and they are friends, but you never bothered to contact them. You claim to be a friend, but you never reach out to them. You claim to be a friend, but you know nothing about them. And then they reach out to you and said, hey, come around for dinner. Let's hang out together. I'd love that. That's what Jesus is offering here. He's saying, I want to be your friend. Come on, let's do dinner together. I've been a Christian for 10 years when I realized my faith was stagnating. I was actually at Bible college. Isn't that bizarre? 
I could write exams on Jesus. I could write essays on Jesus. But I'd lost my intimacy with Jesus. And the Spirit of God said to me, activity for God is not the same as intimacy with God. Activity for God is not the same as intimacy with God. And I needed to re-encounter Jesus as a friend, as a brother, as a companion. How did I do that? I just hung out with him. Didn't do much. I talked to him. I cried with him. I sang with him. I walked with him. And I got to know him again. And that's the invitation this morning. Come back to Jesus. Hang out with him and dine with him. We, we don't know if this lukewarm church ever, ever, ever repented. But we're not responsible for that. But we are responsible for our own souls. We are responsible to make sure we hear that invitation just to come home to Jesus to invite him to dine with you.